0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Real Estate with Howard Drew Karsh. For those who don't know me, I'm one of the co-founders, along with Arthur Bartram and Ron Petticord, of the largest independent real estate brokerage in Canada, with over over 5,400 agents. I've also been on the board of directors of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, the board of directors of the Real Estate Council of Ontario. Uh, I sit on the board of the company I co-founded, And my guest reminded me I was also on the advisory council of Habitat for Humanity. So that gives you a bit of a hint of who our guest is today. Um, If you're interested in finding out more about me, the first episode on our podcast intro is about my journey, my ups and downs, and how I ended up here. This is not your typical real estate podcast. We'll be discussing uh, with our guests, which will be agents, brokers, Uh, salespeople, developers, builders, people who market pre-construction, finance people, lawyers, media people, and people around the real estate business, like my guest today, and people not connected who just happen to be fascinating uh, guests. All of our guests have had the same situation. They've had to overcome setbacks, roadblocks, failures, rejection, but they kept the trajectory which would be, I want to be successful, and they kept pushing forward. So all of our guests make make for very fascinating people. Uh, my own story is for 20 years, uh, I was a real estate agent before starting this company that I was a co-founder. And my role there, uh, whether I was the manager, which I did as we grew, or broker of rec- record and president, which I also did, for, um, for the time I was active in the company, I hired over 1,000 people. And some people were new to the business, some people were... Um, transferring. The new people, it was kind of easy after a while to figure out which would be successful. There was a spark, and enthusiasm, and I kind of thought to myself, I'd hire them if I needed an agent. And the people transferring from other brokerages was the most flattering thing because these are people coming from brands that were more well-known than us, longer in the business than us, but they joined us because of better value. So that's our background. Now for today, Our guest is Ian Underwood, and I've I've known Ian for many years. Uh, She has a fascinating background. I'm gonna just read you about Ian. Uh, She joined Habitat uh, uh, GTA in the spring of 2013. She has a career in both private and public sectors. She was a consultant at McKinsey & Company, uh, working with national and global businesses on strategy and organizational transformation. Her private sector career was uh, close to two decades in leadership positions for some of Canada's leading hospitals, three-year role as the chair of Ontario Government Commission examining child welfare. She holds an honor BA from Waterloo, an MBA from Ivy. She lives in Toronto and has a close connection to her farming roots in southwestern Ontario. So Ian, welcome to our podcast. Nice to see you again. Hey, it's great to be here. I forgot my introduction was that long. Well, it's long, but it's impressive, so I (laughs) didn't want to miss anything. So we go back quite a bit, and uh, uh, why don't I turn it over to you to talk about the relationship between the company I co-founded and uh, Habitat for Humanity.
1: Yeah, and I know we're going to talk a bit about Habitat as well, and I mean, Habitat only works if... uh
0: if people will come and partner
1: with us. And so when I started A Habitat more than eight years ago, one of the first corporate partners that I uh, came to learn about was your organization, Right at Home Realty. And your relationship with us predated me by a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and you have stuck with us all these years because, I, you know, I think the notion of Right at Home Realty is all about, you know, helping Helping individuals and families uh, have a home that works for them and build some wealth while they're at it, and that's the same as we do at Habitat. And I love the way that Right at Home has made the connection because you came up with this formula uh, long before I was involved of uh, encouraging your agents to donate, you know, a small amount of their their sales transactions to Habitat to enable us to do what we do. And so uh, I think now, Howard, we are up to, as of this year, um, I think in excess of $800,000 that Right at Home Realty and its agents have contributed to the work of Habitat for Humanity across the GTA. So uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful uh, partnership. And I know many of your agents have also been out in our build sites helping us actually build these homes as well.
0: And, you know, it's interesting because uh, uh, people... Um, we made it so easy for them to contribute. They just had to indicate how much per sale they wanted to contribute, and then it was automatically done. Then when you offered the builds, then people really got involved because the builds are basically a fun, fun way to feel that you're, you're helping in more than a financial way. I mean, I remember I went out to a build, put on the boots, uh, uh, put on the hat, hit a couple of nails. They didn't go in right. <laughs> so I'm not the build guy. But it, I, it, the enthusiasm of everybody there early in the morning, uh, it, it tells me everybody really uh, liked being involved. And I think we like being a partner with, with Habitat. It's just a, such a great organization. So, and having you here was fun because I know how busy you are. And uh, I wanted to give you the opportunity to really tell people who I think are um, perhaps not initiated... Uh, in what does Habitat do for its families? I think, I think that would be a really good um, part of our podcast for you to explain how do the families get involved and, and, and what are the benefits uh, once they do.
1: Uh Yeah, thanks, Howard. And, it, you know, it's interesting with that name, Habitat for Humanity, because uh, we're a really well-known brand where the brand is valued at $15.6 billion. Um, uh, it's it's being ranked ahead of Johnson & Johnson and Ritz-Carlton and a number of other companies just in terms of, you know, on the enduring brand index. And yet we are so we're well-known, but we're not known well. And everyone has that image that you described, you know, of volunteers on our build sites helping build homes for lower income families. But beyond that, there isn't a lot of knowledge of, do we give these homes away and how does it work? So, as I said, you know, when I was connecting the dots with Right at Home Realty, in many respects, people in the real estate industry and Habitat, we're we're about the same things. So, first of all, we're about the fact that, you know, having a home, that is yours, that you're proud of, that's at the adequate size for your children, that's in a neighborhood that works for you, is a foundation for all the things that matter. It's a foundation for you to be able to thrive as a family. It's a foundation for your kids to do well in school and have a place to work on projects when they're at home. It's a foundation for you as adults to thrive at work, uh, whether you're working uh, in under quarantine from home or whether you're uh, traveling to an office every day. So, so it's, it's real common ground. We're all in the real estate business here, but what we, and what we also recognize with home is not only does it create that foundation every day for your life, but when you own that home, it also creates a foundation for financial independence. And, you know, you and I, and I'm sure many, maybe most of people listening to this podcast, are benefiting from the wealth that we've built in our homes and what that means for us being able to help our kids, you know, with their education, help them with a the down payment in their home, plan for a secure retirement, et cetera. So these are kind of basics that we all embrace you know, as what we'd all aspire for as Canadians. And yet everyone recognizes that the, the families in our society who are lower income especially in centers like the GTA, those kind of privileges are are out of reach. And that notion of the, the having an adequate home, let alone a home that you own, is out of reach because of uh, of uh, income. So what Habitat does is we are working with lower income households uh, who are working. So they're paying rent now. And we're enabling, they're paying rent, but they're almost certainly working, living in crowded conditions at home and conditions that may also be unsafe and unhealthy uh, for their family. And they may be paying more than 50% of their income on that crowded, unhealthy home. And so we enable them to be able to enact, to to not only live in a home that is access, appropriate for their family, but to own that home and to take what would have been rent payments and instead of that being rent that's going to someone else, do what the rest of us do as homeowners, have those rent be a way of building equity. So in that sense, we're giving them the stability of a home today and the financial independence and the generational mobility uh, uh, that comes from uh, equity and wealth that you can build in a home. And now the other part of the equation is that's great. That's what we do for homeowners. And the way we wake at work for homeowners is with our pretty unique mortgage structure. So at Habitat, and you know this, Howard, the, the families themselves, again, because their incomes are low, they'll never have enough money to be able to put aside for a down payment. And so the Habitat model is a partnership. And it says, in exchange for you as a family partnering with us by providing 500 hours of your time volunteering, you will not have to pay a cash down payment. And then when you become a habitat homeowner, your mortgage payments will be structured so that the amount you are paying uh, will be calibrated based on your family income. And we use thirty two percent as the threshold. so thirty two percent equals principal and interest plus condo fees plus uh, property taxes and and home insurance that that will never exceed seventy two or sorry thirty two percent. So and, and so it means that these homeowners are getting a mortgage. Their first mortgage is probably a $200,000 mortgage because that reflects their incomes. And then we, Habitat, hold a second mortgage that is the difference between the full value of the property and the homeowner's first mortgage. And that second mortgage stays silent and zero interest until such time as the homeowners have paid off their first mortgage. So that's a lot of words to say. That's how we're making it work for homeowners then how do we make it work as Habitat? Because these homes obviously cost more than $200,000 for us to build, even with Outstanding volunteers like yourself. Uh, and so that is where, you know, number one, the mortgages come in because as we receive those mortgage payments, we are using them to help the next family. But also donations, as you said, like you've done at Right at Home Realty is a big part of the formula. And so is the work that we do with governments of, of working with governments to get concessions around development charges or permits or other things so that somehow we're amassing the money. To uh, to put together uh, the uh, what we need to build the home and make this kind of transforming a future possible for families.
0: You know, it's interesting when <clears throat> when we talked about the uh, the build part, we didn't talk about the other end, the completion part, and uh, you know how the dedications are done. And and I thought that's also something that's so. Uh, It's so well done and involving not just the families, but, but also the volunteers to show up and to see, because when you come out to a build, it's, you know, it's the early stages, you know, generally you're not, you're not finishing the house. But then you're invited to see the finished product. There's a key ceremony that goes to the family. Um, You know, there's a lot of cheering and uh, if you'd like, you can do your cheer at some point in in the podcast but um, it's it's the enthusiasm that that i always found fascinating that people are there with such genuine enthusiasm for for the charity and for how it, how habitat works the other thing um, and
1: those yeah, and, go ahead. and sorry i was going to say and i'm glad you mentioned the dedications because they're so symbolic because you know the habitat model is this notion of we mobilize communities to help lower income families have this possibility. And so, as you said, at the dedications, we we invite, you know, donors that have given us lots of money, donors who have given us little money, volunteers who have given of their time, governments who have been part of it. And then, as you said, the families are there and we're all together as a partnership. Uh, sharing a moment, and uh, you've heard, you've been at many dedications, and you've heard me say, make no mistake, the hardest working partners here are the families, you know, because they've been continuing to do work, usually at a couple jobs, and find 500 hours to, you know, do their sweat equity, uh, and there they are with their kids celebrating this wonderful moment where uh, the next chapter of not just their lives, but their, their children and their children's life begins, you know, through those dedications.
0: You know, the, the quality of the supporters was something that I, I, I truly was amazed at when I, when I sat on the uh, chair's advisory council. And a couple of those relationships have extended since then. Uh, Paul Gallini, who was at Empire at the time, I've connected mm-hmm. and stayed in touch with Paul. Uh, Martin Blake uh, put me in touch with Dominic Tompa and Dominic's the uh, Vice President of Sales uh, for Daniels, which is, as you can explain, a real big supporter of Habitat as well. Um, But the other people around the table, do you remember some of the other uh, incredible supporters uh, that were at that table back then?
1: Yeah, well, at the Chair's Advisory, um, council, it was chaired by Ed Clark, who at the time was CEO of TD Bank. Oh. And, you know, Ed has been a wonderful community philanthropist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has been on Team Habitat since 2004, I think. Um, uh, we have, uh, you know, a- a- another family that works a lot with us. Uh, I think you met Susan Hawkins, uh, on, on around the table. Right. Uh, and she and her husband, uh, uh, run a, you know, very successful, uh, tool and die, uh, business business. in multiple countries. Um, uh, um, We had someone, I think, from the Anglican diocese around the table at that time. And, uh, yeah, I'm forgetting some of the other players. Um, Uh, um, uh, And, of course, some change over time. So we have some players who come on board for, you know, five years or so. And then others, you know, like yourself, like the Ed Clark relationship, the Hawkins family relationship, the TV relationship, some that are quite
0: enduring. My, I think it was Michael McMillan was also uh, on there from.
1: Yes, yep. In the early days, Mike McMillan was also involved. Yep. And, at and, that time with uh, Alliance Atlantis, and I forget what he's doing
0: now. He went into. Oh, I, I guess it's been years since I followed him, but he went into um, some sort of a think tank. Very, you know, uh, something very. Uh, uh interesting for lack of a better word and but
1: but, and i think like you you made reference to how you know you made connections you know for your professional life right right. and that's what i think you know in my i know you will get into talking a bit about my story you know so many of my professional moves have come from people i've met in my volunteer life Mm -hmm. and so what i love about habitat is seeing you know, because we mobilize around 9000 volunteers a year and those volunteers meet other people and have other experiences that opens doors and possibilities and different ways of thinking for them. Um, so it's a people think of the, the home and that the build kind of experience with Habitat is kind of the main part of Habitat. And it's it is the main event. But there's so much more beyond that build itself in terms of the impact of of Habitat for
0: Humanity. Well, I'm going to kind of lead you along to the things that I found so impressive. Let's talk about the restores as well and how successful they are and how they play into the economic uh, picture for Habitat. It's a fascinating story.
1: Yeah, thank you. And the resource, I mean, Habitat itself is a social enterprise, meaning we don't get any operating funds from government. We are using business thinking to do good. Uh, and uh, the mortgage model, which I talked about, is obviously an example of that. But as you said, we're so proud of our resource. So a restore is a retail outlet. Anyone can shop there in person someday when we're out of lockdown um, or online. Uh, and we sell uh, all the product is donated from both uh, uh, consumers, so from home, private homes, as well as from businesses. And we sell um, uh, home appliances, home furniture and home renovation products. Uh, you can get fantastic things in the Restore. Uh, and, uh, and because all the product is donated, um obviously we pay leases we pay for staff we've lots of volunteers in the restore and so the proceeds that the restores generate uh enable us to you know pay for most of our administrative and fundraising overhead um as well as create those wonderful experiences for you know me i've got all kinds of great stuff in my house that i couldn't have afforded to buy it uh, um uh, uh, at, uh, you know, in a, elsewhere, but I've, it's, I've got these wonderful things from my restore. Uh, and, and, but the other side of the coin, especially now in, in, with the COVID lockdown, the proceeds from our restore online, and you can go there at just habitatrestore.ca, Um, uh, but the proceeds from our restore online, uh, together with the government subsidies are what enabling us now to keep all of our staff working on fundraising, on kind of mobilizing volunteers, on continuing with the development for our future
0: build projects.
1: Uh, so the resources are a vital part uh, of the habitat formula.
0: And that's what I wanted to bring. And you. along
1: the way, I should, and there's an environmental part, of course, like they're keeping, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of um, tons of materials out of landfill sites. And enabling us to continue, you know, reusing, you know, wonderful kind of home furniture and home products.
0: So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to move on to, to, uh, to Ian Underwood, the person. But uh, I, I'm hopeful that people who see this podcast will be interested in finding out more either about volunteering or uh, perhaps contributing. So why don't you um, tell us the best way to get involved with Habitat, who to contact? Okay.
1: Yeah, so the absolute best way to get involved, like so many other things, go to our website. So it's habitatgta.ca and you'll find it's pretty easy to navigate there if you're interested in volunteering, uh, if you are interested in donating, if you know a family, um, you know, maybe the caregiver for your aging parents or, you know, someone in your child's daycare and you're wondering, I wonder if they've been thinking about home ownership, uh, it's fairly easy for families to also get started and to get oriented from our build site and if course you'll quickly find where you can find your way to restore and uh, I think people will be very impressed by both the quality of product as well as the ease of the online shopping experience with our resource
0: okay so um, and we not...
1: deliver by the way Uh-oh. so we will pick up from your door and we will deliver to your door
0: I listen Ian I think people can see why you're such an excellent CEO I mean you're so passionate <laughs> about about Habitat you always have been. Um, and it's a delight to have you on our podcast. So let's talk a bit about Ian. Okay. Um, I always find one of the best things, uh, that explains someone's, uh, um, growth is their background. So, um, what about your background in terms of family, father, mother, what, what sort of influence did they have on, uh, on you?
1: Uh, yeah, Thank you for asking. And you're right. These dots always connect to what we do today. Mm-hmm. So when you did the intro of me, your, your last line made reference to my agricultural roots. So I am privileged to be one of um, the few Canadians uh, now who comes from the agricultural background, uh, now a four-generation farm in southwestern Ontario, um, which continues today uh, um, uh, under the leadership of my two brothers and uh, two nephews. And so I was, uh, the youngest of, uh, five children, um, uh, growing up on this, uh, beef poultry and cash crop farm in southwestern Ontario. And there's, there's pretty early on actually a story that, you know, connects to my passion today about habitat. And that is, you know, when I was, you know, little, Uh, the farm then was kind of that stereotypical two parents, mom and dad, you know, with more kids than they planned on having, uh, trying to hold the farm together. And one of my earliest memories, um, uh, is being, uh, I thought it was four years old. I've learned now it's why I was three years old in my mother's arms on a warm summer evening, watching our chicken barn burn. Mm. And. My memories of that, I mean, we as adults hear that and have that sense of dread and, you know, uh, uh, fear and um, loss. Uh, my memories of it are just, I just remember thinking it was pretty. And, uh, and you know, the neighbors had come and the fire trucks were there and I was in my mother's arms safe. And I just thought it was pretty and exciting and had no concept of the devastation that that fire represented for my parents. Mm-hmm. and the next memory that i have relating to that barn is whatever 8 months or so later and it was a barn dance so with someone calling a square dance and little kids running me included running wild everywhere and you know all the mothers who had brought sandwiches and lunches and and so i remember all the fun of it and this is by the way the barn before the chickens kind of <laughs> moved back uh, arrived again uh but uh but i remember the very um quiet and tearful moment when my parents stood up uh, and very emotionally thanked their friends and extended family and neighbors for supporting them and helping them rebuild. And, you know, I was four years old. When they stood up and did that speech. And you talked at the beginning about dedications, right? At our dedications, you see the kids there, you know, and sometimes their families speak about how much it means to them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I'm at those dedications, I look at those little kids and I think, you know, I had a moment in my life where I didn't really understand what was going on, but I knew it was important. Mm -hmm. And and so in the years that followed that, you know, I watched my parents continue to, you know, give back to the community too. And so the notion of, you know, giving back, you know, and, and for me, I was always, for whatever reason, kind of wired around. I always knew I wanted to do something that was kind of part of doing good. Um, and, uh, so that gives you a little bit of a sense of my roots. And again, I'll just, you know, go back to that barn burning story because what's so powerful about it is, is, as I said, you know, my parent, I learned in later years as I got older that that was a seminal moment for my family where my parents almost lost the farm. Mm-hmm. And, and it was the combination of their perseverance, their hard work and people saying, how can we help that enabled them to, you know, keep the farm? And that farm went on to raise, you know, five now very, you know, successful contributing adults. And as I said, it exists. My parents have died, but it exists today led by my two brothers. It feeds Thousands of families across Canada and in the Pacific Rim, uh, and and that's you know that's the habitat story. You you never know who needs help and when they need help, and that was you know pretty formative uh, for for me growing up.
0: Well, that really explains you know what I didn't know about you, and uh, you, you know you've answered almost all the questions I would have asked you in just explaining your life. There is one question I do like to ask, because I remember when it was asked of me, it was one of those "Hmm, aha moments. So here it is. It's actually the only question I'll be asking you is, uh, Ian, if you could go back and tell your 20 year old self something, what would that be?
1: Uh, I think so I'm gonna offer you a few answers. Sure. Uh uh so I'll I'll give you three. One is patience, grasshopper, okay. uh, which is a saying a very good friend of mine who came into my life probably when I was about twenty six, you know, has said to me very often the the notion of you know things will come together eventually. Uh if you're following your heart. Uh, and if you are continuing to persevere, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, I I I don't know what words I would have used to say it, but we, we you and I talked about it a bit at the outside of set of our conversation. I, I would have said keep volunteering and keep giving, um, it be, because it always comes back to you. So again, and I don't know if we're going to chat a bit about the various kind of stops along the way of my career, but you know, there's only I think one job of a five kind of career story that came to me other than through networks that happen through volunteering. So um, I've just been amazed at how I meet someone through volunteering and then it opens a door that I didn't even know I was looking for. Uh, at some point in the future. So, you know, that notion of, you know, networking and putting yourself out there would certainly have been part of it. And, you know, I guess the third one, um, Howard, would be um, understand your privilege. And so I say that thinking of, you know, now where we are today in 2021. And I think for so many of us, you know, like you and I are both white, you know, we've grown up with a level of privilege that we are only now starting to understand. And uh, and so in, in my world of Habitat for Humanity, you know, I see that every day. But I would say in particular in these last, you know, 18 months, my awareness of privilege and the opportunity that privilege gives me to um, open doors and create possibilities for others. Um, uh, is, is something that I understand now in a way that I did not as a, as a 20
0: year old. All right. Well, listen, Ian, uh, y- y- your, um, your analytical style, I'm sure is what got you all the successes <laughs> along the way. Um, before I let you go, I have another question I wanted to ask, cause I know this is, this is one that I'm sure you're still passionate about. Ro- um, uh, mountain biking. Are you still a mountain <laughs> biker?
1: Uh, I am indeed. Okay. We all have things that fuel us yes. and bring us joy. And so, and I see I've got a mountain bike over my shoulder here in, in this backdrop. Oh, okay. Um Uh, yeah, yeah, we all have things that fuel us and give us joy and, Uh and, you know, a happy place that can, can kind of enable us to kind of be Mm re-energized. So for me, as improbable as it seems for a woman in her now mid, mid and approaching later fifties, uh, I remain super passionate about mountain bike, biking. Last summer with the, um, the COVID, with the COVID limitations, I turned that into bike packing. Uh, which is, uh, is kind of mountain biking with your tent and everything else you need to be fully self supported. Uh, so disappearing, uh, on, um, uh, you know, trails and back roads, et cetera. So I biked 2,500 kilometers in various corners of Ontario with my bike and my tent and everything else last summer as a way of kind of renewing and re energizing for what was obviously a super, super challenging year.
0: Wow. Good for you. Listen, I'd love to have you back. I know you're busy, and I, and, and I appreciate the time. I certainly appreciate you explaining Habitat for Humanity um, because I think the, the, the tremendous uh, success of that organization and the contribution to so many people, I just think it was or perhaps hasn't been uh, as well explained as how you did it today. So I want to thank you for that, um, and I want to wish you all the best. And would you come back again on another uh, podcast?
1: I'd be thrilled to come back. And Howard, thanks for providing the opportunity okay. to to explain it. Uh, we love what we do at Habitat for Humanity, and this last year with all of us hunkered down in our homes, I think has just so brought home the oh yeah, home is really important. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people in our region that don't have that possibility, and so uh, we're working hard to create create possibilities for more families. Okay.
0: Ian, a real pleasure to see you again. It's been a long time. I'm so glad that the uh, the uh, de- donation from the company is coming up because I know you know I know I it's going to be helpful for you and the organization. And we will have you back again. Fantastic. Thanks, Howard. Thanks. Stay safe. Thanks a lot, Ian. Bye. We'd like to thank Ian Underwood of Habitat for Humanity, GTA, and we'd like to thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe, and tell your friends about us as well. You can find our podcast on all the major podcast networks and on our channel on YouTube. If you're interested in reaching us, you can do that a couple of ways. One is by email, and you can email us at info at rewithhd.com, or you can reach us directly on our website, which is rewithhd.com. Thanks for joining us and stay safe.